0: All right, episode three of Pals with Bill Wadman, which, uh, I don't know, you like the name? What do you think of the name?
1: You know, I was telling somebody about it today, and I said I was going to be a guest on Friends of Bill. Yes. And I th- which I, is a good name, I, too. I think that's a
0: catchy name.
1: She really liked it. Friends of Bill. Friends of Bill. Because right, that's I, what, you know, Clinton, Bill Clinton's friends were called. Yeah
0: well, yeah. yeah. well, there is the problem, though. There's also the 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 uh, uh, Friends with B.W. means that you're an alcoholic, because Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> His name was B.W., which <laughs> oh, I didn't know Bill, w., Bill W. So, yeah. So yeah. there's, there's there's a whole other level, which I have to be careful of, but we'll, yes. we'll discuss it. So anyway, episode three of the show, uh, I have Molly Goldstein here, who is a new friend pal of mine. Um, and uh, we have a number of friends in common and have connected over the past couple weeks because I'm going to shoot you for my 365 eventually. Yes. But then we had a very nice discussion at a party the other day. Um, Wherein I wanted to basically devour your brain and incorporate <laughs> it into mine. Molly is a film editor. It is true. Um, both narrative, documentary, shorts, trailers, yes. any and everything.
1: Industrials, commercial things, you know. Right. Whatever pays the bills. Right.
0: Now, how uh, we'll get into history in a second, but how many people who do what you do are sort of all-rounders? Is that 80% of people are... I'm going to do a little of everything.
1: I think most people don't go back and forth between feature docs and feature narratives. And I've mostly focused on feature narratives. But almost every editor I know has some kind of fill-in-the-gap side gig. Yeah. You know? Uh, Mine is the Criterion Collection. Sure. Um, I do— Bunch of hacks. Bunch of hacks.
0: With no budget whatsoever.
1: No. And no no love of the craft. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. but, I, you know, you have these gaps between films, and there's always, it's a freelance field. So uh, pretty much everybody has some kind of, of uh, fill-in-the-blank work. Yeah. Um, but I think that I have probably spanned a, a, a very wide spectrum.
0: Right. And, uh, um, sorry, I'm going to jump around a little bit here. With documentary footage... Yes. People talk about ratios of footage to yes. final stuff. yes. 10 to 1, 20 to 1. So I'm going to shoot 20 hours or whatever for every hour that ends up in the thing. This is There's like, this is a thing, right? Yes. How much did, is there a point at which you're just like, no, this is way too much? Um, You know, or do you like having too I mean, much and if, do you not even look at some of it, you know?
1: If someone wants to make a full length, like a feature length documentary, nine, say 90 minutes, and they have less than 100 hours, I will be concerned. That they don't have enough. That they don't have enough. Pretty much, fifty percent of all documentary footage you throw out right away. The problem is you don't throw out fifty one-hour chunks. You have to go through every hour and sort out. But there's always fifty percent of it is always waiting for something to happen, or trying to catch something that just happened, or talking about something that's no longer in the film. So you always do like a first pass where you just throw out. I hit the mic. Where I just throw out like half of everything that we got. Right. Um, And that's a matter
0: of watching everything at one x.
1: Yes. This is part of the reason why I'm incredibly selective about documentary projects at this point.
0: It has to be a topic you're interested in. Otherwise, it's just brutal.
1: It takes so much patience. It is a brutal process, that winnowing. And I don't think, you know, it's possible. I think it is possible to have an assistant to do that first 50% pass. Yeah. But say you have 300 hours, someone weeds out 50% for you, yeah. you still have 150 hours of footage to work what with. What about
0: the filmmaker doing a five-hour cut and wanting you to cut it down to 90 minutes? Is that ever worthwhile? Sure.
1: I mean, that's a that's an interesting job, but when I do that, I don't feel like I've made the movie. You know? Right, right, right. I feel like I'm coming in. You're editing in, and edit. Exactly. I'm doing like a top-level sort of refinement job. I'm right. not finding the film and really creating it and – um, I've done both, and I've done both on narratives, too. I've come in on the end of a narrative and just sort of like cut out a few minutes. you gotta and, 15 minutes or whatever. Exactly, and just kind of zero in a little more on the story and right. bring a fresh set of eyes and all of that. But, right, right. Uh, I don't really feel like I, I've fully contributed to everything I have to offer if I don't start from the beginning. Really? Yeah, I don't feel like I really understand the film if I don't. If I didn't watch all the dailies, right. whether it's narrative or doc, then I don't know the movie And I can fake it,
0: you know? You know, there are times, like, I I make little shorts occasionally. Mm -hmm. I will make BTS little few-minute videos Mm -hmm. of footage from my shoots and that kind of thing. Usually what I do is I'll just cue everything up, watch, oh, there was a cute little moment, top tail, move that down to another timeline, keep going, oh, that's cute, drop that down. And then maybe an hour's worth of footage ends up at 12 minutes, Yep, and then... Oh, that's not as cute as this other thing. Drop that, kill mm-hmm. that, whatever it is. It's like this winnowing process mm-hmm. versus sort of knowing, oh, I know I want only 15 frames of this. Let me pull that down. People actually obviously have different ways of working.
1: Yeah, but I think winnowing on a on a doc, you know, you have an advantage on something you've shot because you've seen all the footage already. You know, True. you're not going into <clears throat> the edit room a blank slate for calls. better or worse. Right, right, right. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm going in a blank slate and I'm... You know, you you winnow it down, you put like with like, and then you start to see, well, this is a much stronger way to say this thing than this one is, or this scene says a lot more than this one does. So then you cut that out and you just sort of learn what the movie is by losing more and more of the stuff that's just
0: not as good. Right, 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 right. Isn't that funny how that's how it is, right? It's just sort of boiling away the stuff that's no good. And you
1: can't fake it. It sounds like you should be like, Okay, I have an hour. I'll just take the 10 good minutes. But you just don't know what the 10 good minutes are. Right. You have to get it down to the 30 good minutes, and then you watch it again, and then you're like, oh, if I put these next yeah. to each other, actually this one works great. And right. then you get down to 15 yeah. minutes, and you just I love, I love
0: the shot of the two feet underneath the dining room table, but yeah, it's not really necessary. It's not adding anything, even as, right. if it's cute.
1: But then you have when you're – Two weeks down the road, and you're like, oh, I need something to cover this interview here. You're like, oh, yeah, that shot of the feet. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, 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 You know
1: your footage, so you can go back and get it.
0: True, true. You
1: know, I do go back to my wider string out sometimes and scan through and just be like, well, now my pro- priorities have changed. Right. Let me see if I can find something that's right for me this time.
0: Now, you, uh, again, we'll go back a little further. We're going to mm-hmm. jump around. But you, how long have you been in the industry?
1: I uh, got started in 2002. Okay.
0: So so sixteen, 16 years, years or so, right? Yes. Okay. So it was actually probably around that time when people started doing a lot more previs, and mm-hmm. we're going to figure out the shots before we even shoot them. Like, I mean, storyboards on another level, like on that second second level storyboard kind of thing.
1: Yeah, though previs, I I just worked on the biggest movie I've ever done, and which was still you know not a not a hundred million dollar Hollywood budget. Previs is still pretty rare in the okay. A world that I work in.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, At a really high level they might do that. If there's special more effects in that exactly, kind of thing. Exactly. And if it has to be out. designed
1: for visual effects or whatever. <clears throat> okay. I work with visual effects a lot, but it's more because, you know, they didn't they couldn't lock down the whole scene, so there's a bunch of spectators in this corner and we need to paint them out. Sure, sure. Or our sure. department. Had a hard time with the wall hangings, and they're all wrinkled. So we have to put them in later, or we have to paint yeah, yeah, out a yeah, boomer. Yeah. I mean, at this point, every movie is a visual effects movie, yeah. but it's get the shake and
0: nuke and whatever guys to come in here exactly. And deal with that after afterwards. effects, let's just you know clean <laughs> right, things up, right, fix right, things, right, that right. kind of thing. Do you want to see what the what the, the storyboards that the director had in mind?
1: Um, I do. If it's a complicated action sequence, I definitely do sure. because sometimes that stuff is can be feel like gibberish when you first look at it. Um, But I think I'm pretty good – at this point, I can watch a scene and just by seeing what angles they picked and how many times they try different takes, I'm pretty good at reading footage and figuring out the director's intention from there. Stuff they thought was important
0: is the one they did five takes of because they didn't get it. Exactly. Or
1: like if there's this dolly shot that swings around at a pivotal moment – Well, I know they're going to want to use that.
0: Because it took them like 16 hours to get it. Exactly.
1: (laughs) And even if I don't like that dolly shot, I always put it in the first cut because I'm never going to get it past them. You know what I mean? They're never going to forget it it. existed. If they
0: see it in the cut and they go, yeah, "Yeah, it doesn't work, then it's not on you.
1: Or they have to see it in the cut for three months and then finally three months in we have our first screening and the audience doesn't respond to that scene, then I have an opening to say, you know, I think the dolly might be hurting us there. Right. So it's a process.
0: That's got to be painful. It's like sticking knives into the guy or gal.
1: It's... it's, (laughs) You know, I had a director once who... They'd shot the movie already, and I was putting the assembly together. I had like four weeks or something to do the assembly. And she came by in the middle, and she said, I feel like you've been rummaging around in my underwear drawer without me. Yeah. And that really stuck with me. I have a lot of compassion for...
0: What That's a good way of putting it, directors
1: actually. hand over, you know? Yeah, because yeah, it's like a little embarrassing, too. Yeah. You know, I'm going to see all the mistakes and all the times the shot didn't work or the actor didn't listen or yeah. it's not what they wanted. And right. I have to be really non-judgmental and kind of move past it. But also, I consider myself an advocate for the audience um, and also someone who really thinks about... I think you make movies to communicate with people. Sure. So if the director loves a shot, that's great. But if the shot's not doing what it's supposed to be doing, if it's not getting that point across to the audience, it's my job to help her or him understand that and figure out how to get their point across better, even if it doesn't involve that shot that they love. Sure. Yeah,
0: yeah. All right, so let's go back.
1: Mm -hmm. You grew up in? I grew up in Rochester, New York. Right, which we talked about the other day. Yes, closer to Canada than New York City. it was very cold. Cold, nice. It's very, you know, Canadian slash Midwestern up there. Um, Yeah, it's like that. Erie,
0: Pennsylvania, Cleveland. You can go all the way there. It's all very similar kind of stuff. Yeah, totally. Totally. Mill towns from the old days. Yes.
1: Uh, You know, uh, Rochester is the flower slash flower city. Flower? flower, like F-L-O-U-R, Ooh. because there were flour mills on the Genesee River, right. and flower like F-L-O-W-E-R, because right. now we have the Lilac Festival every year.
0: That's interesting. It's yes. like that- the uh, city has branding. What was the Will, uh, what's his name, movie where he brought flowers to Maggie Gyllenhaal, but he brought her different kinds of milled flour <laughs> <laughs> because she know, was a that's baker? That's a joke. I it was like cute. That. Yeah. yeah. Stranger Than Fiction. That was the film. Did you ever oh, see that? I did. It's actually I quite good. Yeah,
1: I liked it. Yeah, I don't remember that, though, which is funny because that's my kind of joke.
0: Yeah. All right, so you went to Yale. I went to Yale. D- um, did you always want to go to a fancy League school? Are you that much of a nerd? I am a big nerd.
1: <laughs> I'm also the kind of person where if you tell me something is the best, I'm like, oh, well, I want that. Right. So when my, my I asked my mom when I was like five, I said, what's the best college? And she said, Harvard. So I said, okay, I want to go to Harvard, and then you know when it actually came time to look at colleges, I toured all. You know, I did this sort of standard, fancy school tour, and I really liked Yale a lot. Yeah. And it's it's more it's a little artier, yep. a little more balanced. I don't know. I had a great experience there. Okay. Um, and I was
0: always like eating Pepe's pizza. Uh,
1: yes, <laughs> Pepe's and Sally's, and um, I did a ton of Going theater to Toad's there. Place. Toad's Place, good, good. That's a deep dive. I'm that's from Connecticut. Great. Okay. And my okay. father used
0: to sell tickets to Toad's Place at his record stores in Connecticut. Oh my Connecticut. god, that's amazing! So we used to go all the time. We used to get like on the guest list whenever we wanted to,
1: and hang out with all the drunk college
0: students. Yeah, and go see uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show at midnight. Uh
1: huh. I did that Around the
0: corner there. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. So yeah. No, I, I know. Okay. So, but did you? Did, did was film always a thing for you?
1: No. Um. For a long time, I wanted to go into politics because my mom was a politician. Sucker. Seriously. Um, and then, I mean, for a long time. I think it was my senior year in high school that I fell in love with film. Um, I had a teacher named Marianne Satter who just really opened up the world of film and filmmaking to me. What, what did she show you? Oh, gosh. She showed me a lot of uh, sort of 40s, uh, Some Like It Hot okay. was a big one. Yeah, um, That William Wyler movie where they all come home from the war. Okay, yeah. Um.
0: Hitchcocky Just stuff.
1: Hitchcock loved Hitchcock. Just yeah. really kind of opened my eyes to the range of film stories. But in and some range ways, very
0: as far from an editing point of view, very classically done yes. editing kind yes. of things. Do you think the fact that, and I haven't seen enough of your work to comment on mm-hmm. this, so it's actually a question, not a rhetorical one. Mm-hmm. Do you think that your feel for editing? is influenced by your first love of the films that you saw that you as opposed to if you, if you had started watching 1970s you know yep. new stuff or watched started watching Fellini and that was the thing you fell in love with that you would edit differently.
1: Uh I do. I think my and I've always loved movies. It was just that that sort of moment where I realized they were things that people made. Yeah. But my style is very classical and yeah. that's what I will default to is this sort of Smooth, like hard to notice, uh, dialogue centric, yep. performance centric. Um, that's that's my natural wider sort to of, tighter
0: kind of stuff too.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But I think first of all, you learn rules in order to break them. Sure. So I'm. I think I'm more aware of how I can use those patterns to build expectations or subvert expectations. Sure. And, um, oh, there was an and, and I just forgot what it was. Oh, and it's really fun to challenge yourself. Like when I did this movie called Little Men a couple of years ago, yeah. and Iris Sachs worked, works much more in sort of a European vernacular. Yep. There's longer takes and um, just sort of a, a slower pace. And going into it, I was sort of like, uh, am I going to be able to do this? Yeah. And learning to work in his style was really a growth
0: moment for me. Give you another tool in your toolbox. Exactly. You know, there was that uh, that George Clooney film, The American, Uh from a few years ago, which is called The American, and he's an American, but it is a very European film. Very long shots in the middle of nowhere in Italy. Very, you know what I mean? Like it's not made like an American film ever would be made. Yep. And you watch it and you go, wow, there really is a different sensibility to mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. all of that.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and so, I think both of them get a bad rap. Like, I don't think the European sensibility is boring. You know, I think that playing with length and that letting things play out, I think there's something so compelling about it. And yeah. then sometimes I think some stories want to just move, you know, right. they just want to have that sort of momentum to them. And I've edited a couple years at the Sundance Lab um, and then there's a, the artistic director there whose first name is Jula, Jula Gazdag. He's amazing. Okay. And he says, there is no style. What does the story want? Right, yeah. And that was so meaningful to me. It's like, sure. what
0: does this story want? Don't pigeonhole yourself into, yeah.
1: Exactly. You can't impose, don't impose your style. Yeah. Look at your story and figure out how that story wants to be told.
0: So, but you you fallen <laughs> in love with film mm-hmm. late in high school. Yep. You go to Yale as a as a it was a, a sort of a dual kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I went to I majored in American yeah. Studies.
0: Um, There's the politics half.
1: Yes, and yeah. but also the sort of cultural history. Sure. You know, it it talks a lot about how culture and politics and um, sort of societal understandings and expectations do or don't make things happen. Yeah. Um, and I knew I wanted to get into film, but Yale has an incredible undergraduate theater scene. Yeah. And when I was there from 98 to 2002, at least did not have much of a film scene. So I made a few shorts, but for the most part, my passion in college was theater. Okay. Um, and I stage managed and directed and just learned a ton about storytelling and working with, uh, working with other creative people to make sure. something happen. Right working with actors, got a tremendous
0: respect for the acting process. Which is a that... microcosm of the film world. Exactly. I learned so much. But, okay, uh, quick offshoot question. Yep. Uh, uh, do you think that art leads or follows culturally? Both. Okay.
1: I think some artists lead and some artists follow.
0: Okay. Um, and I think... Because, you know, it's like, is, is art changing the world or is the world changing art? You know, that, it's that classic right. question.
1: But, you know, I think the incredible progress that we've made on in gay rights in the past sure.
0: 30 years yeah. is... To the was point where it's unrecognizable.
1: Unrecognizable. And yeah. I think a lot of that was led by art. And uh, I have a sister who's transgender. And she came out shortly before, like, uh, Transparent and a lot of this sort of trans awareness hit popular culture. And I think if she had come out four years later, my family and myself would have understood had a, such an easier time understanding it than we did at the moment she did come out. Really? Yeah. I think having that sort of cultural framework that just introduces people to you and lets yeah. you understand where they're coming from. So you don't have to – it's really hard to start from zero with someone whose own identity is fresh and raw to them. Yeah, sure. So I think that's what culture and art can do for us, is sort of let you experience that story from a slight remove and sort of have all the awkward reactions and misunderstandings and not getting it in this mental interaction with somebody on your TV.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think yeah. that's
1: where art can lead us.
0: It's it, yeah, it's, it's such a, Okay, so... Sorry, so many things I want to ask you. <laughs> uh, so... You decide at some point where in that process after doing all this theater in school did yeah. you say, well, that film thing from senior year of high school, yep. maybe that's the direction I want to go in.
1: Well, I made some shorts. Okay. Um, I took this class with um, D.A. Pennybaker and Chris Hedges, who are documentary filmmakers and just my heroes. So it was really incredible that I got to take a course with them and – in making the stuff we made in that class, I just realized that shooting for me is something I had to like get over with. I didn't I don't like I don't like the uncertainty of it. I don't like yeah. you know, and I PA'd on a couple of films in the summers and on a film that you're always like hot or cold or lost control. or tired. Yeah. It just it I was like how can anybody Throwing make anything? And and, exactly.
0: Yeah. The waste. It just
1: I couldn't believe it. And then you get into the edit and you have like a nice, calm, controlled environment. And you have your blocks and you just get to make something out of them. So it's like, this is what I want to do. Um, And when I graduated from college, I found this place. I Googled film editing school, New York City. Okay, Um, And because I had a hunch I wanted to be in New York. I had a friend who grew up on the Upper East Side and her brothers were away at camp for the summer so I could stay in their bedroom, okay, and I turned up this place called the Edit Center, which was absolutely life changing um, in a good way, in an in an amazing way. Um, it, it's it a beat expectations. It beat expectations. It was the best five thousand dollars I've ever spent. Uh, it's a six-week course where students work on real movies, and the teachers are real or professional editors. I still teach there a lot. From a technical point of view or from a philosophical point of view? Both. Both. Okay. So you spend a week. At that time, it was on Final Cut Pro. Now it's on long, you know, dearly departed Final Cut Pro. Right. Uh, it's on Avid now. But um, you spend a week sort of learning the technical stuff, getting up to speed. Yeah. Um, and then... Half the class, you work on a narrative and half the class, you work on a documentary. And every student in the class gets a different scene and you work on your scene and you work with the teachers and you work with the director comes in and gives you feedback. So you really just get a incredibly supportive experience of what it's like to be an editor. Yeah. And I was just like, this is it. And you see
0: each other's work as you go. You see each other's work. Is there a sense in the room where you're just like, yeah, Joe doesn't have it. Amy does, Joe doesn't. Dan does. Is there like you know? Because there's got to be a certain level of. I feel like there's an intuitive sense to flow. Like my degrees in music. Yep. Right. I don't claim to be a great video editor. Yep. But I understand when something's working or not. Just Because yep. it's like it's like the melody works or it doesn't. Yeah. Like, and if you don't kind of have an intuitive sense of that, yes, you can't teach that. You can't teach that,
1: and it's really. <clears throat> because I've been on the other side as a teacher too and it's like I can give you tips and tricks and I can give you all the tools in my toolbox I cannot give you the intuitive understanding of using shots to tell a story yeah and that is some and I've seen directors who don't have it I've seen editors who are editing students who don't have it like some people just, don't have it. it. And I, you know, there's a lot of talents I don't have. Sure. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I always see people driving buses and I was like, if I thought that was my job. I just, I would starve. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah the like, spatial awareness and what, there's a lot of things I couldn't do. Musician is music. Like, I have to work with music a lot in my job, but it sure. is still like a mystery, total mystery to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, it's one of those things where you've got the fundamental, like, intuitive grasp of it or you don't.
0: Yeah. It's, it's such a strange – okay, so you go to this course, you spend $5,000, you spend yep. six weeks. Is that what you yep. said? Yeah. Okay. And you get out of there. Yep. You're in the big bad world of New York City. Yes. One of two places in the country you, at the time you could probably make a living. Now you could go to Atlanta or something yes. and do, sit on a TV show or something like that. But back then in New York or LA. Yeah. Where do you go from there?
1: Well, I found a way to not leave the edit center. It's basically
0: what I did. Okay. I
1: so I TA the She's next. She's like class. I actually moved in. Yeah, exactly. I just yeah. didn't. So they
0: loved you. They they you were you were a hit.
1: Well, I was a hit, and it's it's very much built on this model of like discovering and nurturing talent. You know, so every class they have the the two students who just seem and and not just the most talented editors, but really personality has a lot to do with. I mean, success in life, but also success sure. as an editor. So. Yeah. Every class, they ask two students to TA the next class. And you don't get paid, but you also basically take the class again for free. Yeah. Um, and I had this other job. I had a part-time job um, working on a, for a diet website. Okay. And this was 2002, so... This f- sort of first dot com bubble was just ending, yep. and this website had run out of money to pay freelancers to write new articles. Okay, so my job was to go back through the archives and program articles to look new. <laughs> so, okay. like on Halloween, I'd go find the like "Don't eat the Halloween candy" article yeah. from four years ago and put that on the front page. Yeah, and I just kind of made sure that everybody knew that I was available and interested and had this job that I hated. So they ended up um, hiring me to sort of you know, do the grunt work at the edit center. And so I worked there teaching, sort of worked my way up a little, ended up the director of education for a couple years, Um, worked there going back and forth between teaching administration and then small editing projects and just assisting whoever I could. Crazy
0: that a Google search got you that far. Insane,
1: right? So lucky. Such a like out of the blue. And frankly, lucky that I had made a friend at Yale who had a spare bedroom on the Upper East Side. Yeah, yeah, sure. The first couple months I was in New York, my parents paid my rent. Yeah. Uh, You know, there's a lot of luck and privilege involved in getting started in the creative field yeah any any
0: sort of art yeah artsy kind of thing
1: um and i there was in fact when i was about to start the edit center i had also been sort of looking for and interviewing for um other sort of entry-level positions and there was a job as a pa on this documentary about jazz i think that was going to be on pbs or something and it was like do i take this job that pays you know the ken burns one or a different one? no it was a different one it was imagine working for those guys I know. It just would have gone. my career would have been completely different. It was like, do yeah. I take this job in hand or do I like chase my dream? Sure. And because I have comfortably middle class parents who could afford to encourage me, they said, take that at center class. Right. So I did. Um, so anyway, there's there's a lot of privilege at sort of every level of my being able to get started in this yeah, field. Yeah, sure, of course. Um, but, so I hung out around the edit center and then... The person who owned the edit center at the time, Alan Oxman, um, co-owns it now with someone named Adam Bolt. but um, he had edited all of Todd Salon's previous movies up okay. to that point. Um, uh, Happiness, Storytelling, Welcome to the Dollhouse. And Todd was casting for his next movie, and their casting office was in Queens, and the edit center was in Manhattan. So Todd said to Alan, can I you know, have a couple of casting sessions out of your office? And um, and so we had these couple of insane days where there's actors coming in and out and yep. um, there's a – he was putting together the movie Palindromes and there's a number of disabled children in palindromes. So we would have just ro- like a, a girl in a wheelchair next sure. to a boy who was blind next to a boy with Down syndrome. I mean there would just be these lineups of yeah. children with a range of disabilities in the office. It was pretty – I mean it was straight out of a Todd Salon's movie. Um, and I was just really helpful to Todd and got to know him. And then Alan decided he didn't want to edit the movie. It was very low rate. Um, Alan was sort of transitioning more into producing. Yeah. So uh, long story short, a friend of mine at the time who had the same sort of experience level as me, Kevin Messman, the two of us ended up co-editing the film. Big break. Huge. 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 So my first... Again, a Google search. A Google search. <laughs> I know. And just was there at the right time. Yeah. You know, like yeah. helped Todd work the printer and had Alan's backing. And Alan was sort of like, yeah, if you hire these guys, I'll back yeah, them up. The, and yeah, if they, they make a the big job. mess, yeah. like I'll come in and fix it. He didn't have to come in and fix it. We did okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I edited my first movie and worked with an incredibly accomplished filmmaker so who taught me so much about storytelling. That was, I think, 2004. Okay. Yeah. Um, 2003 into 2004, maybe. So I'd been at the Edit Center about a
0: year when that happened. Um, it's You know, it, I, I was watching um, a scene, a clip on your website of mm-hmm. – uh, um, Two kids sitting at a a bar having a conversation. The kid from Good Doctor and, and oh, yeah,
1: Freddie Highmore and, um, and Emma Roberts. Yeah. Yes.
0: And it's very much, uh, you could almost have that scene without, without visuals. It could Uh just be the comp, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's really about the dialogue. Yep. And you're you're flipping over the shoulders, you know, the yep. different shots, right? Yeah. But you're keeping the dialogue, say, from one person's shot underneath the other yes. one, all that kind of interleaving kind of thing. Yep. In situations like that, do you tend to start with the dialogue? You see what I'm saying? Yep. I build those scenes. So I um
1: I think the movie ugh, the movie was called Homework, came out as the art of getting by. Okay. Um anyway, uh, Those, I, so, mm, let me start this sentence over again. (laughs) (laughs) So, essentially, I build those scenes by picking the best, the take I like the best of each line of dialogue. Okay. Um, And I start with, now I use a a feature in Avid called Script Sync. Um, I cut that movie before Script Sync existed, so I used, had my assistant make string outs. But, essentially, I start from a, a uh, position where I can quickly run through every take of every line.
0: Yeah, like a multicam kind of thing. Uh,
1: sort of, but yeah. in in the sense that I have it all organized. The first step in in being a good editor, I think, is organization. Like, sure, I need to know what every option is at every moment in time. And are
0: there. St- standards for that in your industry or is, does each editor have their way of doing things and if they're going to have somebody help them out, they need to, They, you know, Joe needs to know your system if he's going right. to assist you.
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of editors use string outs and a lot of editors use script sync. Um, and then there's the like minute differences that feel very huge to us. Sure. You know, so my assistant on the past two films has been this guy named Brian Young who's wonderful and he has learned how my brain works. Okay. You know, so... Uh, So string outs are pretty standard. That's a sequence where, again, for every moment in time, like if the first line is hello, you play through the string out, you see hello, hello, hello in the wide, and then you see hello, hello, hello on the person speaking, and then you see hello, hello, hello on the person not speaking. And then if there was like an insert of the bartender, you'd also see hello on the bartender. So you might
0: have 12, 14 versions of hello. 50,
1: I mean, yeah. That have You have, but it's really important to me that I can... At w- on with one click, see every option I have for that moment in time.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah that's interesting. But, yeah, but isn't there a is there a not a continuity thing in a in a visual continuity level, but like yep. a a flow to the way a certain take goes that for where sure. if you chop and dice, yep. cut and dice too much, it ends up feeling choppy. And you see yes, what I'm saying?
1: yes, absolutely. I mean, so what I do this is very much a a sort of first pass thing. I go through and I will have watched all the dailies. So I have some, a vague sense that like I want to start in the wide and then I want to go to the mediums and on this line I want to use the closes, and on this line I want to pop back out on the wide. So I have some sort of vague sense of what I want the architecture to be. And then I go through and pick, listen to all the takes for each, um, for each uh, angle that I want to be in, pick my favorite. And what that does is create a very choppy, very messy first draft. Yeah. But the hardest thing in any creative field,
0: I think, is the first, first draft. draft. Yeah. You can refine from there.
1: Exactly. So,
0: yeah. the hello isn't really working. I got to go find one that works better with the second line, which is much more important than hello. Exactly. Yeah. Okay.
1: Or, you know what? I don't even want to see hello. So, I'm just going to pull this video of the next line over that. And so I'll keep hearing that hello, which was good because it was on mic and it was yeah. good performance. But we're not going to see
0: it, right? Right? Right. So we can, yeah, um, we can do the wide shot coming in through the door when you hear "hello" from another thing. Exactly. Whatever. But okay.
1: in that wide shot, they didn't <laughs> have the boom was way over there, and they didn't, the actors weren't loved. So I do need the audio of that "hello."
0: Right. 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 That right. kind of thing. Right. Okay. So
1: and then you just start refining and you start thinking about well, who do I really want to see at this moment? Yeah. And. Do I want to add some space here so that we, like, linger on that line? Or do I want to tighten this up because this, this is a, you know, dialogue we just want to get through or we want to feel some momentum to this scene? Sure. If you linger everywhere, your audience doesn't know what's important. You right. know, you want to just, like, my philosophy is that you want to move, 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 and stop. And then when you stop, that stop know is it's so much more powerful because you're like, wait, why aren't we moving?
0: Right, right, right.
1: You know, and right. obviously it doesn't work for some films or some scenes or whatever, but... So that's the thing, kind of thing I start thinking about on the second and third and fourth pass. Um, it's, it,
0: you know it's got to be tricky because I mean most people think of it used to be that there were it seems like the the, the job of the of, of the old school 70s sound editor mm-hmm. is is been a lot of those duties have been put into the modern digital film editor. Mm-hmm. Because you have so much of that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not just about getting the transitions and cuts right in the video. Mm-hmm. It's about getting the transitions. It's not like you're going to leave some sloppy thing and some audio guy is going to come in and clean it all up. Right. right?
1: I mean, they don't really come in and clean up. They just come in and elevate. You know, right. they come in and fill out the world. Uh, but I do a lot of sound work.
0: The Walter Murches um, of the world who back in the day, before yeah. they were editors and when they were just sound guys. Exactly. Sound yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And – um, You know, I love the sound edit and the mix, and there are certain sound guys who I love working with, but my job editing is to, first of all, make the sound good enough that it's not distracting. Like, I don't want you to be able to hear the room tone changing behind the actors. Um, I usually put in a bed of some kind of background in all my scenes just because, just fill the world out a little bit more. Put in all the sounds you need to tell the story. Doors opening and closing add a surprising amount of realism to... Uh, to sure. scenes, things like that.
0: I, you know, the other night I was watching the the Spider Man movie from a couple years ago, yeah. the Homecoming. Yep. Which I just had never seen. Yeah. And we watched half of it the other night, and then the next day, my wife was recording her podcast sitting at this table, and I was over there watching the rest of it with headphones on. Uh-huh. And it's so rare that you watch movies with oh, headphones yeah. on. Yeah. And there's a scene where he's walking into the big dance at the end of the thing, and I was just like oh, all this audio is just created. Like, you can tell on headphones where you wouldn't notice on speakers. Yep. You know, I mean, I'm an audio guy. That's what I do. So I was listening and I was thinking... No, yeah, this is all just stock stuff of people walking around. This yeah, yep. this was built. Yep.
1: Yeah, it's I just I just mixed this movie called Like Father, which will be out on Netflix on August third. Yay. Um, but we talked about that a lot because when you're making a movie for Netflix, you're not mixing for a theatrical environment. Right. You're mixing for all these audio environments and visual environments in people's houses that you yeah. just can't control. Right. So yeah. we. Including headphones. Including headphones, exactly. And yeah. it was like, well, if you listen to a movie this way, you're going to have one experience. If you listen to it this way, you're going to have yeah. another. We're yeah. just going to try and yeah. hit something wide enough that, you know, all the dialogue is clear. The music is coming through when we want it to come through. Yep. The effects and the world are built out enough so you feel like you're on a cruise ship and you feel like you're in New York City and all sure. that stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, we all went a little crazy trying to finish our color and our. Uh, sound for an environment we can't control.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in the in the audio world, people used to listen on like old Yamaha NS10s or Aura Tones, like these crappy little tiny, you know, mono totally. speaker in the middle just to like, yep. if it sounds okay on this and yes. these NS10s that cost a lot of money but sound like crap, then it'll sound great on a system that well, sounds good. Well, at one good. point
1: we played back real one on a TV, just playing it out of the yep. TV speakers, yeah. and it was like, well, if that's the thing, then we should obviously be like pushing the music and lowering the dialogue or whatever it was. But yep. then it was like, well, but every TV is going to sound different. And this sounded yep. different because yeah. it wasn't against the wall. And most TVs, I mean, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. like lose your oh, mind. Oh, you can,
0: you can go crazy. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're obsessing about, say that scene with those two people talking is yep. 120 seconds long or something like yep. that, you know, like t- yep. two minutes. Let's say it is just for sake of argument. Yep. You're obsessing for three days over two minutes or some amount of time. Yeah.
1: I mean, I mean the bigger picture is – I mean, Like Father was unusual because we ended up going back for a reshoot. But, you know, the film I just finished, we're obsessing over 10 months for 90 minutes. Right. So, And that's just post.
0: Do you ever – but do you ever think about it and go – I'm spending all this time in the same way that I'll Mm -hmm. make a picture. I'll spend Mm -hmm. 20 hours working on retouching on some image Mm -hmm. and people open it up. They'll look at it and they'll go, yeah, okay. And they'll just walk away. And you think they're not noticing any of the things that I was obsessing about.
1: I mean, I try to keep that in mind for continuity, actually. Like if I want to use a certain shot because it tells the story the right way, but the wine glass was on the left and now it's on the right. Yeah. I'm going to say to myself, 2% of my audience is going to see that. Yep. This shot tells a story the best way. That's what I'm just going to use. Yep,
0: suck it up. Go with it. Go
1: with it. I'd rather people think the editor made a mistake than think the main character is wrong. You know what I mean? Like if yeah, it supports yeah. the story yeah. and the characters. But then the flip side of that is I do obsess about all these little sound things and yeah. music things and whatever. And and some of that is just for me. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know, when you I go back and watch bitch, this movie. Too. That stuff is... Uh, and, and, you know, I always have to pull my students away from it because continuity is actually a very easy thing to focus on. Yep. It's black or white. It's right or wrong. Yep. And the craft of it is is knowing, well, your eye is not tracking that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, let it go. Let it go. There's
0: more wine in the glass than there was a minute ago.
1: Exactly. If someone's watching the wine glass, I've lost them. You
0: yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done something wrong if they care about that.
1: Exactly, exactly. When I see continuity mistakes in movies or something, I think good for you. You made yeah. the right choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I've had people say to me, you know, I used to really love the show Glee, and sure. Neil Patrick Harris had an episode, and I can't even remember the scene now. It's probably not important that it was Neil Patrick Harris or Glee, but I had it's a friend... It's always important that it's Neil Patrick Harris. Okay. Just for the right we're just we're agreed on that. Okay, yeah. And I had a friend who said, that scene was so badly edited, what do you think? And I was like, I think that the cuts look wrong, but the performance looks great. <laughs> I think they chose performance over... Cutting pattern, and I support
0: that. Right. You know? Yeah. You can see pat. There are some people who can't see past the thing that they obsess about.
1: Well, and there's some things like cutting pattern, which is like, which are you in the medium or the wide or whatever, cutting patterns, continuity, like, there's some things that make sense in an almost mathematical way where sure. you can be like, these are the rules, and this breaks the rules, so that's wrong. But I think a good editor is like this is the time when it's worth breaking the rules and this is the time where I just can't because it's going to be more confusing because everyone's going to be lost because
0: the character who was over here has now jumped to this other side of the room. Although I think because of the quality of today's TV shows and yep. the amount of stuff people are watching. I think the visual vocabulary of your average viewer mm. is far higher than it was 30 years ago. That's a very good point. And you can do a lot more yep. and they'll follow. Yep, you that's know, a very good the point. The fact that anybody can follow any of these Michael Bay movies that come out in the last 10 years, right? <laughs> totally. Like I can't follow them and I was into action movies yeah. when I was a kid. <laughs> like I have no idea what that Transformer just hit. Yep. I don't know who he's fighting. I don't know why he's fighting them. That because actually, each cut is six frames long, uh, if that. You totally. Know? That When I I can't follow an
1: action scene that actually drives me nuts oh yeah like that no because because those the in a, a good action scene has stakes for the story sure yeah you know and yeah. i don't know if i don't know which car that is that yeah. just skid it off i don't know if i'm happy or sad about it yeah
0: you know it's, it's it's sometimes it's weird when you watch old movies where the one big thing that happens in the whole film is a single gun goes off right or whatever it is and now there's the people who just taking an Uzi to a crowd of people or whatever it is and you're just like wait a minute wait a this second. is just some cut
1: scene between two things and it's I like know. how could this possibly and have- it, I mean it just desensitizes I, you it's yes. just brutal I don't know I've been watching Westworld yeah. and I keep trying to like that season show. one or two uh, I've been I'm like I'm caught up so two so I just finished okay. season two Yeah. and there's some interesting stuff in that show but there's so much incessant violence that I'm like I can't have an emotional relationship with this story because yeah it's too just brutal.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um so, yeah. uh, so wait, you mentioned that you, you you guys started you were a Final Cut seven. Yes, you know, yes. Or Final Cut six, Final probably cut five. Three back. Three wasn't really?
1: Final Cut three. I mean, yes.
0: Okay, that computer over there can yep. do you know, it's a new iMac Pro. Yep. I can cut anything on that. Yes. You know. Back in the day, you must have had sd oh god tiny little 320 by 240 proxies or something that you were editing exactly
1: i cut a feature and then sending an edl
0: to somebody else to to render somewhere else like is that how it worked what is it like uh
1: yeah i mean well on palindromes we literally cut the negative
0: right okay um
1: so we were working so they shot on super 16 and then they transferred to uh dv tape
0: Oh God, DV is the worst. It
1: is the worst. And we take these. We get one blue DV tape from the lab every day, and I lost my mind hassling the lab to stay caught up on our dailies all the time. And that was like a whole thing transferring it in real time. Yeah. Um, and telecine, right? Because film is twenty-four. Yeah. yeah. The tape I was getting was twenty-nine, nine, seven. Right, right. There's a three to two drop down. Exactly. Um, and so wait.
0: So if you stop on a particular frame, whatever that means on mini DV, whatever yeah. it is, it would just be a smear of multiple frames and yes. that kind of stuff. It was almost impossible to do frame accurate it, anything.
1: Well, we called it the jiggle frame because it was like you'd stop on the frame and it would be it would be a half frame, so it would sort of wiggle back and forth. Yeah, 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 yeah. So at the end of that process, we had to go through and look at every single cut and make sure all the cuts were landing on real frames, not jiggle frames. <sighs> yeah. Okay, sorry
0: to I keep interrupting. So, you.
1: no, it's okay. But we would, so we'd get this blue DV tape and then we'd get a floppy disk, one of the, you know, the little, the little sure. like plastic the, ones.
0: Yeah. And on in. there would be an EDL and right. we'd bring it in and that would, which tell for Final those 5. people who don't know, is an edit decision list. It's Correct. basically just a list of all the edits and their time and, you know, oh, it's yeah. a list of time codes essentially. Yep.
1: yep. So this EDL would say, okay, the first shot on this tape is like, uh 13-1, which right. means scene 13, take one. And right. you'd ha- and so you, you bring the EDL into AV into Final Cut. It would capture in real time the media off the tape. You'd bring that in, uh you'd work with that. And then That's again, when offline and online meant something. Exactly. Well it still kind of does. Like unlike Father our 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 we shot an 8K okay. raw files and I was not I was editing in um in MXFs that were 1920 by 1080. Right. So, and you were and,
0: saying you were you were actually pushing into some of those 8K yes. scenes.
1: Yes. There were a couple of scenes where we just needed to reframe shots or we needed to create some shots that didn't right. exist. But
0: you weren't going into a 1080 thing out of a 8K. You weren't going into 10% no. of the frame. No,
1: I mean, I had basically, re- we shot at 8K. We're finishing at 4K, right. so I knew I could go in about 100%. Isn't that and crazy? It's wild. 100% and
0: still have a 4K and image? still
1: have a full image.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But that, and, I mean that that's but, a special, I mean, not a special thing, but like.
1: it's. A, I try to
0: use it as a last resort. Right, you right, You know, right, 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 I like, right.
1: respect the choices that the DP and the director right. made on AK set. 8K source footage
0: is more than anyone needs. Totally. Gear. And it takes up so much
1: space. Yep. And it, um But there were there was also things that we didn't see in the offline that suddenly when we went into the online, we were like, oh, well, we got to do something about that. Like we had some last minute visual effects. I mean, a a classic masks that weren't good enough, that kind of thing. No, silly example. So there was a there's a game show in the film and the actor playing the game show host pulls out the names of the people who are going to participate. So he would reach in and pull out the name, pull out the little he would reach into like a, a. a fishbowl with a bunch of little slips of paper and pulled out a slip of paper, read the name. He couldn't remember the names that he had to read off. So they put little slips of paper with the right names written on them yeah. and numbered them in teeny tiny numbers one, two, three, four on the back. So he yeah. would pull them out in the right order. Okay. When we went into the online, all of a sudden in the shot of him reading the name, you could see the little numbers written on the paper. And we'd never seen it before. It just fuzzed out, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, yeah. So we had to do some last-minute. In a 1080 effects. file, but exactly. Like 4K, you could see it. In 4K, you could see it. So we had to paint out the numbers on the back of the uh, paper, like right. at the last minute. Yeah,
0: but so it, as the technical side of thing has marched forward, and yes. you have. So much more power. Yes, so much more. Like if you want to do that, if you want to mess mm-hmm. with color temporarily mm-hmm. while you're looking at it because it's way too dark, the scene, right? And you want to be able to edit and see what the hell's going on. Right. You could bring things up a couple stops if you really want yes. to, and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> Have you ever gotten to the point where you're like, "Yep, this is enough. We don't need to."
1: I, I mean, I think maybe it's my age too because I've been well, in that's the my, industry that's for 16 years. Yeah. Is I feel like a cranky old lady. There were a few effect shots in the in this. Film where I was like, but I, sure, it would have been better if like that light wasn't there. I mean, not like a like a camera light, like a um, yeah, street light or whatever. Thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But b- really, we're gonna paint it out. Like there were definitely a few things where I was like, yeah. we are just overusing VFX. The like there's no sure. need in in the in the old days we would have just lived with it.
0: Yeah, preach, man.
1: Preach. But I mean, I will, but I'm also the person who's like, no, I'm going to cut in this shot with the camera in the background because this is the best take and we're just going to fix it in VFX. Right. So right,
0: right, right, for right.
1: every shot where I'm like, that's ridiculous, yeah. there's 10 shots where I'm like, I'm really happy that I could use that shot yeah. and
0: just but count in the on past the VFX. few years, team. we've gotten to the point where there's very little you
1: can't do. There's very little. If you have the money. Yeah, yeah, of um, course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the other thing is that visual effects are hard. Like we had a scene where it was at night on the deck of the cruise ship and we wanted to see stars in the background. It took 36 rounds of to get those stars to look right. No, it was just about, it was not about technical. It was just about how do we want the stars to look and how hazy and how do, do they look real? And we didn't look at all 36 rounds, but the shot, the version that we settled on the VFX company had they was they had some internal rounds without us, but they it was version 36. And that was just stars. We don't know what
0: stars yeah. look like. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So doing visual effects that look good and look real is yeah. still incredibly difficult. Yep. And your movies where you watch where you're just like, none of this. I just I just stumbled across Kong Skull Island on okay, HBO. Okay, yeah, I haven't watched it. There's just so you're like, none of this movie feels real. It yeah. all just feels like yeah. And and you can see the transitions. I mean, some of those shots are amazing, and the creatures yeah. are amazing, and there's some stuff. Well, it's that's like really Game incredible. of Thrones. It's like
0: the doorway exists. Yeah, All exactly. The rest of it is just and you map can paintings. and you
1: can start seeing the transitions in and out of real shots and fake shots. And so we're sort of at this point where it's like, yeah, we can do everything, but we can't do everything well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so I think being judicious about doing things practically versus doing the things with effects, right is important because people on set, you know, when you're struggling to get something, they'll say, oh, we'll just VFX it. And it's like, you don't know how hard it is yeah. to actually make that good. Get it
0: really, really close practically and then we well, can that's polish my it philosophy. up later.
1: Like when we, we did some inserts later and there was a, some shots on a phone and everyone's like, just get the phone. And I was like, no, I made it my mission to like find a phone number we could clear and like – yeah. Get it right and set up the phone right and whatever because it was like even if we have to add a little bit with visual effects, it's going to look so much better if the majority of this shot is practical and like the phone is actually ringing and the actor is actually picking it up in reaction to it ringing and all of that stuff.
0: What if you're you've strung everything out? You've done second cut. You've got yep. the director there, and you go, "We need another shot." You don't have like it really needs this. Yeah, you know, do, do you how how much power do you have to? Sway the director to request a reshoot of something. You know what I mean? Yeah,
1: to, I mean getting reshoots approved in sixteen years of editing. I've done it twice. Yeah. So well, that's not true. Re, full reshoots with cast. Like you usually can go back and do like pickups, some B roll like, thing. Oh, we yeah, need an, exactly. Yeah, we
0: need an outdoor like crane shot of the outside of this restaurant. Yeah, or, or
1: like a phone being picked up. Yeah, or yeah or whatever. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, can yeah. usually get those. But um, I mean, that's I'm trying that's to give them a the match. Cre- that's a uh, tricky uh, thing. Yeah, exactly creatively that's between the director and me yeah um, and the producer is gonna weigh in of course there are other people the DP's gonna weigh in but the people sitting in the room oh somebody didn't turn his ringer off it's true um the people sitting in the room puzzling through that is is me and the director right of course um and it is it's you know it's why I'm an editor you really are so involved in the creative. Uh, they so you get to do so much of the fun part. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, you're yeah. so creatively engaged with the
0: movie, and you really I feel a lot of ownership over the films that I work on. And you're you're probably one of those crazy no, absolutely every single keyboard command person. Aren't
1: I you? do know a lot of keyboard commands. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm not as good. I started. Some on people Final are five. nuts,
0: right? It's like they some don't- people
1: are nuts. I know someone who works with a foot pedal. <laughs> really? Uh,
0: yes. What, get, what, like, what, what do extra- they have the foot pedal doing?
1: I think he maps it. I haven't asked him for. I, if I remember correctly, it's play and pause.
0: Well, okay, that makes sense. Yeah.
1: So, but then then again, your thumbs are on the space they, bar they, for God's sake. Yes. But he's very he's like famous for how fast he is. I'm not quite there, but right. and I'm not quite at like Final Cut. I understood inside and out. Avid, I learned later, and when I wasn't assisting anymore, so I, I just, there's just stuff on Avid that I've never been forced to learn, so right, I right. haven't. But yeah I use a lot of key commands. I'm pretty fast you know in, I, in photoshop
0: like, there whenever people talk about you know uh um uh what's it called it's, uh benchmarks and things yeah in well, you know it does this um you know transition from c m y k to r g b or whatever it is in like fifteen less seconds or whatever i like right how often are people trans- sometimes I think about editing and i go the decision, the, the deciding what yep. change you're going to make takes way longer yes. than it does to move this clip over here yeah yeah to know the keyboard commands to like trim this a few frames over on mm-hmm. this side without having to drag something mm-hmm. i understand how there's value in that mm-hmm. but there is like a diminishing returns to being fast at manipulation yes
1: i mean it is every time every time my avid crashes and i lose work well, i was like shit that was an hour of work and then it takes me like three minutes to recreate it. (laughs) Right, right, Because it was the figuring out that was hard, not the buttons.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: But I do think it's important to have, to be fluid enough with the keyboard that going from your brain to enacting it is like, is like, oops, sorry, Mike, is like smooth.
0: Yeah, you're you not know, slowing yourself down. You're not
1: slowing yourself down. And your fingers, I want my fingers to be able to, like, enact what I'm thinking about without my really, like, focusing on the commands. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: People who watch you or I do what we do probably yep. just look at us and go, what? I don't understand how you could possibly. Well, what are you doing? How do you know that that's manipulating that <laughs> clip over and moving that? In- well, that's why I
1: tell. That's why. Oh, this is like an edit center philosophy. That's why we tell the students to learn key commands, because there is something to being that professional who has, like, a magic. You're the magician. You're the magician. Yeah. Um, and when you're sitting in the room with the producer, it, it helps a lot. To And even when I'm sitting in a sound mix and they've got this – this board that looks like a spaceship and they're sure. turning dial I was like, You guys are wizards. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't know what you're yeah. doing. It's magic. Yeah. It's the same so, thing with grading, right? Yeah. It's like totally. multiple color wheels and you're like, wait, how are I you? I don't even know what's happening. And like you're drawing a window and things are yeah. and I'm just like, you guys are magic. Yeah.
0: No, no, no. I want that red. Red I said. Yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah, you get to exactly. be that person who just yells.
1: So could you make it not nighttime but daytime? Like, sure.
0: Do you do you have favorite films?
1: Um Yes. I mean, it's so funny because at this point, I feel like my list of favorite films is like cliche almost because- Is uh, Almost Famous on the list? <laughs> <laughs> almost Famous is not. On, no, the list is like Chinatown, which okay. I now feel conflicted about because of Roman Polanski, but-
0: Which I um, saw for the first time last year. Oh, wow. What'd you think? I was not impressed. Really? Yeah, but but that's that's, I didn't know anything about it. Yep. So it kind of came in cold, but and that sort of seventies, yeah, the 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 noir revolution of yep. the seventies, like bringing all that thirties stuff to the seventies, to me now, yeah. felt very dated.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I wonder if I watched it now. I mean, I haven't seen it in like ten or fifteen years. So if I watched it now, if I would have that reaction.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that that almost feels too. It's like. Um, it's a little too slow. Some you know, yep. like there's it's. yeah We're so used to uh-huh. the momentum and and yep. propulsion that you were talking about before that a lot yep. of stuff it goes. Really, we had to show him getting out of the car and yes. walking over there, like yes. that kind of stuff that they don't do anymore.
1: No, it's a it's a <clears throat> amazing when you figure out that audiences can follow, like you can see someone get out of a car and then arrive at the door and you don't have to see them walk across the sidewalk. right? And I I discover stuff like that all the time, even in my edits where it's like, oh, I don't need to see like this whole middle
0: section. I can just go beginning and end. There there was a documentary Um, about film editing from about eight or 10 years ago. Do you ever see that? Uh It's a... the Cutting
1: Edge, yes, that Yes, maybe one? it
0: might be, yeah. Yes. And they interview, I think that's the, because I've watched a lot of this kind of stuff, but yep. they, they interviewed the guy who worked on JFK. Yep. And, you know, he was just like, oh, yeah, and, and you know, what's his name, wanted crazy stuff happening there, and I just kept edit, cutting it, and he was just like, no, it's not chaotic enough. Sign so it up, just sort of banging on the keyboard, and that's what came <laughs> out, and that's yeah. what's in the film. Yep. Have you ever had any really non-traditional ways of working that ended up working in the long run? You That's know? a
1: really good question. Sometimes I wish my keyboard had like a scramble button.
0: Yeah. Because sometimes I, I just want to see. need add some randomness yeah. um,
1: I'm trying to think of non-traditional. I mean, on Little Men, we have this scene where the um, one of the kids in it wants to be an actor and okay. he goes to an acting class. And they're doing that Meisner game where you repeat what the other person says. and Repeat what the
0: other person says.
1: Repeat what the other person says. (laughs) Go ahead. Um, So (laughs) he ends up getting into it with the acting teacher and it just goes to these insane places and it it, like gets crazy and then it goes back down again and then it gets really crazy. And I put the whole thing, which is like a 90-second one shot, not for 90 seconds, in the cut And we kept thinking, I kept thinking, oh, we're going to cut this down. No, we're going to cut this down. And then someone would be like, you should cut this down. And I'd be like, I don't want to. It's great. And I would watch the um, faces on the audience every time we we screened the movie. And people were just grinning ear to ear through the whole thing. They liked that part. They liked that part. And I got snowed out, so I couldn't go to Sundance that year. But um, uh, I heard it got a standing ovation in the middle of the theater when it premiered at Sundance. And that is one of the sort of more non-conventional choices that I've ever made in a film is just to just hold and hold and hold on that shot. And there's this thing where, and we did try cutting it down, but it was sort of like it got good and then it got bad and (laughs) then it got amazing and it wouldn't hit amazing. You couldn't go go good to amazing. You had to let it dip back down again to hit that
0: peak. It's like, uh, you ever, you watch Family Guy much? I've never watched Family Guy. There's a episode of Family Guy where- the main guy like bangs his knee or something yeah. like that. And he sits down on the edge. He goes, shh, ah, shh, ah, shh. and it goes on for a minute and a half. And <laughs> it, it just, it, you know what I mean? And it, you go down the other end and then you come back up on yeah, the other exactly. side and you go, okay, this is funny again. exactly, You know, I feel like Letterman used to do that. He would like hit a he would hit a punchline and then repeat it yep. and repeat it, and then the fourth time it's like, okay, it's to get funny again because right. you repeated it for the fourth time, and you
1: get this sort of surreal like yeah, discomfort. we're all it's an in joke almost, it's an in- right? Because you you like. Become aware of the medium, and then you like lose yourself in it again. Yeah, like yeah, it's it's like Brecht. I don't know. It's very um, that awareness, and then sinking back into it makes it, like you said, like an in joke with the audience, and now they're in on it. Sure, and now yeah, they're laughing too. Uh,
0: I, I I cut you off when you were talking about favorite movies, Chinatown. Oh, what Chinatown.
1: Else you got? Um, Singing in the Rain is one of my okay, favorite movies of all time. So smart that movie. It's a movie about movies. And you go back and watch it, and you're like, not only does this movie have more joy in it than anything I've ever seen, it's also incredibly intelligent.
0: Do you get sucked in by the uh, meta movies, La La Land? I love meta movies. Okay. Yeah. I'm one of those people. I really okay. like the meta thing.
1: I, I liked the disaster artists a lot. Okay, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Um, I really love um Down by Law. I don't know, um, that, I know that one. Which Jim is that? Jarmusch, early... uh uh, Roberto Benini is yeah. in it, and uh, Tom Waits. Okay, and Tom Waits. Yeah, and they have talk <laughs> about. Correctly, and there's this scene where they're in a jail cell together, and they start chanting, "I scream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream." Yeah, and it goes on and on, and it's just incredible. That's a great. That's a great one. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of
0: recent movies that I've seen that I've really liked. Is there any particular scenes that, from an editing point of view, you're just like, "No, these, this this guy or gal's genius." Like there's just where editing. I mean, editing in some element of it yep. makes every movie, right? It's yep. like it's it's a it's an ingredient into it. Yeah. But there are certain films where editing is everything. There's know. a
1: great scene in. Um, oh God, what's it called? Uh, my friend Adam McCabe cut this movie. It stars Mark Ruffalo and Laura Linney. It's Kenneth Lonergan's first movie. Um, I love
0: Ruffalo, but I don't can't place uh, the movie. D-
1: d- yeah. It's because I said "down by law." Now that's stuck in my head. We'll look it it's up not. and put it in
0: the, in the anyway.
1: Place. There's a scene between Mark Ruffalo and Laura Linney where the editing rhythm—he's a good actor. He's a great actor, and so is she. And yeah. the the rhythm of the cutting is just right there with them, and really switching back and forth between perspective. And you know, he has that sort of awkward, stuttery pacing, and the editing really sometimes smooths it out and sometimes focuses on it. Yeah. Um, And it's just a beautifully cut scene where like everybody was playing jazz together in the same perfect way. Uh, One 24th of a second. I know. You know, you know, it's amazing how much you can perceive in one frame.
0: Yeah. That's my, what is it? Yeah. 40 milliseconds or whatever the hell it is. Right. Like, that's crazy that that is noticeable.
1: It, it, and you know, it, it really is. And sometimes it's, I mean to be honest, it's usually not one frame, but frequently the difference between a good cut and a bad cut is like two or three frames,
0: yeah,
1: um I always say eight frames is the magic number when a director tells me to shorten that by a hair, I shorten it eight frames, and she'll a be like, third oh, and that's second. it
0: yep yep and that's, and that's see that's it's all these like inside things that yeah. you know you know it's, it's like, <laughs> like, no this is the way we think about it in the business, yeah the all right, so you're working on films your your career. Has been going in a good direction. Yes, you're working on better and better stuff. Yes, um, you and I were talking before we started. It's just like the whole idea of like where you are, where you want to go. Yep, never being satisfied. All these kinds of things. If if your phone was going to ring tomorrow, who would you want to to be on the phone asking you to come work? You know, do you do you have? Do, is there a, a a pie in the sky client?
1: Um, that's a great question. Um. You know, I think more than pie in the sky, like, director, you know, I mean, I know her editor, he's a great guy, but, like, if Greta Gerwig called and was like, I want you to come edit this Little Women adaptation I'm doing, I'd be like, halt the presses, I will be there in one second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But...
0: Gotta go invent time travel. Yeah. 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 (laughs) yeah.
1: For me, it's more about... Scripts. Okay. So when I see an email from my agent, what I'm most interested in is um, is the cast and the script, right? Um, and and I'm hoping that the director is nice and collaborative. Yeah. You know, I'm really looking for. I think it's fun to work with directors who have a really concrete vision the kind of director I like to work with is the one who knows out how to bring out the best in everybody around them yep. and really sort of take that alchemy of everybody's talents and make them into something new.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that there, there's a lot of people at a certain level who put together, seems like to me from the outside who put together crews of people that they continually work uh-huh. with. Right. It's like I have the editor I work with, I have the cinematographer I yep. work with, you know, yeah. Um, does that interest you? Very much so. Being sucked into like, no, I'm I'm one of the guys on this team. Yep, very
1: much so. And, you know, I've been working in independent film and a lot of people, it takes years to get your second movie together, your third movie together. Yeah, but, so in the
0: meantime, you've gone and worked um, on three other things. Yeah,
1: but yeah. I think having that team of collaborators, I did this movie uh, last year or two years ago now called The Incredible Jessica James. Okay. Um, and uh, the director of that was just delightful, I feel on the spot now, so I'm blanking on everybody. Jim. His first name was Jim, and I'm sorry, Jim, if you ever hear this. I can't remember your last name. Yeah. Um, and I co-edited that with um, Jesse. Uh, what is wrong with my brain?
0: <laughs> Hi, it's Jesse. It's very, very hot. It's 90 it's degrees 90 inside. 90
1: degrees, and I, I scrambled eggs in my head. Anyway, Jesse, who was the co-editor who's now working on Incredible Kimmy Schmidt and is a terrific comedy editor. Yeah. The three of us had so much fun cutting that movie together. Right, um, and it was just we trusted each
0: other. Yeah. You would do it for fun. I do it for fun. Yeah. Like, don't tell them that they're going to ask you to do it for free next time. I know exactly. I hope <laughs> there's no producers listening to this yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah,
1: But when the collaboration is that good, all you want to do is just keep making movies with those people.
0: Yeah, it's funny, you know. You hear you hear the stories about the team, like Spielberg puts together, and mm-hmm. it's like, hey, man, cut cutting all these people, they yeah. it's like, okay, yeah, let's go. We're waiting to do the post for this yep. one movie. Let's just go make that other movie. We have 60 yeah. days. It's like, and let's yeah. get Tom Hanks and, and, and you know, it's just like, what, are in. you kidding me? Yeah. Like, we'll just go throw this thing together because we've got 60 days and we like working together. and
1: Well, and I'm sure you feel this too. Like, by the time you hit the end of a process, you know each other so well. Yeah. And you know that, uh, you know, I'll know the director's preferences yep. and everything. Yep. So, and she'll be no me and We could do it in
0: eighty percent of the time exactly, it would take to put together a new team.
1: Exactly. Just starting being able to start from that place of trust and knowledge and yeah. um is is so much fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? You don't yeah. have to work through the getting to know each other part. You can just sort of hit the ground running. And what about
0: New York versus LA for your world?
1: Um is there's, there's more work, work in here? LA. Yeah. I probably could be working on more and bigger movies if I moved out there, but I really, really love New York.
0: Yeah, LA a whole other thing.
1: And when I when I went, I did cut a movie in LA, and I was very unhappy.
0: Yeah, no, um, I'm, I'm with you.
1: Yeah, uh,
0: it is an interesting thing, though the the, the idea of the, the, where you are gives such a dependency on on your, your career, and, and then
1: there are so few options. I mean, yeah. still, it still really is New York or LA.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, but at least in New York. Now there's so many TV shows, so many yes. more films being filmed. Yes. And the tax whatever. credit,
1: the post-production tax credit is really incentivizing yeah. people to edit here. Um, so just lobbying anybody out there who's listening, Cynthia Nixon, you should not be against it. Um, she against it? She, she came out against Why? it. Why? Uh, because she's trying to prove to everybody that she's not in the pocket of the film industry, I think.
0: Because she um, herself is an actress.
1: Yeah. She said something about she's not- She's one of
0: my favorite movies of all time when she was younger.
1: Which one? The Manhattan Project. Funny, I've never
0: seen it. Everyone makes fun of me about this movie, but okay. I love it. Okay, John Lithgow is a nuclear engineer. And oh my god! There's like a young teenage kid who steals plutonium to prove that he can build an <laughs> atomic bomb, and she's like the love interest girlfriend. Oh wow! And does he build the bomb? Spoilers. Yep. Whoa. Yep. But it wasn't regular plutonium. This was like real high test stuff, and you know, it's it's it ends up becoming sort of a little bit of a, a you know a, a rand Corporation, you know, how do we end this thing? Do we kill the kid? Do we do this? Do we, you know, it's actually, it's actually, it's, I think it's a good movie. Uh It has its whole plot holes, of course, like any movie like that. But you watch it and you go, no movie would be made like, it's very 80s. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's in that way. Very similar to war games. I was just going to say,
1: I was trying to ask, like the one with him with Matthew Broderick and the chess computer. It's similar to war games. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why I, That is one thing. Like Like Father was made for Netflix, and I feel like Netflix is one of the few companies out there who's making movies like that (laughs) that
0: are just or buying movies that are made. Or buying movies that are made, yes. Um, how often are they actually in the early production stages of things? They are now making an incredible number of
1: original films. Okay. Um so like Like Father was Netflix from start to finish. For
0: many years though, it was they would go to the the, the festivals and and just go buy stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So in the past like two years, Netflix and Amazon and A twenty four, who also used to mostly focus on acquisitions yeah. are making their
0: own stuff. That's like 8 billion dollars this year. Oh
1: my god. I mean, I just hope it's not a bubble. I want them to keep spending yeah, all that money an amazing on content amazing amount of content. a tiny fraction of that money it came to me this yeah, year yeah, yeah, and yeah. I just want people to make things.
0: 1.3 billion of it went yeah, to me. Exactly. <laughs> it's a tiny fraction. So
1: tiny. The, the, just a drop in the bucket. Now you you dollars. go
0: edit at, at an edit house. Yes. There's nothing to stop you from putting $40,000 on your credit card or less right. and building out a little thing at your house if you wanted to.
1: Well, Do people do that? People do do that, um, and I will occasionally work from home. Basically, if I'm working – if anybody else has to come in and work with me, if I'm yeah. working with the director or producers or whatever, I will do it at a post house. Sure. If I'm working on my own and posting to
0: Vimeo For or something how like looks- that. Sorry for 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 how it looks professionally, sort of, or yeah. because you actually find it. No, more,
1: because I live in a studio apartment, yeah. and they'd have to sit on my bed, and my dog bites. Okay. You know, yeah, for yeah, just yeah, all yeah, of those yeah, yeah. like boundary yeah. reasons. Sure. Yeah. Um. The the real reason why I don't want to be in charge of my own setup like that is yeah. because when I'm at a post facility and there's a problem, I go find you somebody call the tech and they, guy fix and they it. come fix it. Yeah. yeah. That you know these machines fail all the time but you're
0: also using a machine that 20 other people are using at any particular time and yes there's yes. all the things that go along with that
1: um, but I still it's it's just. I only have so much room in my brain.
0: Is there is there an element of oh at that place don't get room two? The machine in room two <laughs> has a sticky space bar and
1: there is definitely a like a like, well, if I go back there I'd ask them to put a different machine in the room. Or yeah. like yeah. I'm gonna try and get the room that's not next to the bathroom.
0: Sure. Or that yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. there's
1: certainly, you know, anywhere you go, <laughs> you can fun. make things
0: into better or worse. Like there's something everywhere, right? Yeah, of course. Oh that's so oh, funny. Of course. The uh is there anything we haven't talked about? I feel like I'm jumping around and I feel like I've put you on the spot a bunch of times.
1: No. Um I I think we've talked about a lot of things.
0: The um Yeah, the documentary thing is yep. really I like documentaries. Yep. But I I don't tend to choose to watch documentaries even mm-hmm. though when I do choose to watch them, mm-hmm. I kind of get into them and I yep. want to watch them again. Yep obviously narratives. St- well, no, I was going to say narrative stuff has more story for you to construct something from, mm-hmm. but that's not necessarily true. In some ways, finding a story within a documentary mm-hmm. is itself its own. Puzzle. Yes.
1: Yes. I mean, I don't, I Without have making
0: s- it feel like
1: reality TV. Right. I mean, that is sort of the line with documentary. I mean, I don't edit reality TV because it's too hard. Essentially. Like, Pays really well, yeah. Uh, but it is making it look like something happened when nothing did. Sure. And changing the music every 25 seconds.
0: And
1: That shit is technically <laughs> difficult on a level that I just have no patience for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't ever want anyone to think that I'm like shitting on reality TV editors because what they do is so difficult. Right. Uh, and I watch plenty, but... Um, That sort of question. Recaps that drive me crazy. uh, The recaps are really annoying. Yeah, like we don't. The commercial break was not that long ago. We don't have to. We remember what happened. We we can just go forward with the story. Yeah. Um. But that sort of there's a lot of that ethical. There's more blurring of boundaries in documentary than people talk about. I think. You know. There's a lot of anything from oh could you just do that again? Yeah. Yeah. To let's go to this place and you guys can have a conversation about this. To genuine like this didn't happen this way, but it's better for the story if it does, so let's put these things together and yeah, yeah. Uh, make it sound like this happened. And um, it is hard to predict. Um, it's hard to ask in an interview, so are you an ethical director or an unethical director? Yeah, although you that's know, a line. It's a line, and I've been burned once on that, and um, it, it that project kind of turned me off doc for a while. Interesting. Um, because i mean i think that the stand, to me the standard is would the person watching this movie or would the person who's in this movie recognize that as true right you know sometimes something do you happens not feel like
0: it's manipulated all exactly.
1: The hell. exactly like do they recognize themselves yep you know if the thing happened on july 4th but it's actually better for the story if it happened two months earlier as long as you're telling an essential a story that essentially tracks yeah. i think it's okay to fake things like that sure but um if something didn't happen at all, if somebody ends up being portrayed as a villain. Sure. Uh if you're making up whole uh, you know, storylines and then forcing people to act them out.
0: Yeah, um, no, that's that's not
1: that's that crosses a line unacceptable. for Unacceptable. Yeah, agreed.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, my friend, uh, Marette made one of those tiny house documentaries uh-huh. that was on, uh, her and her boyfriend, like made a tiny house out in Colorado. Oh, wow. She now lives around the corner here in Brooklyn. Actually, she in moved in a slightly less tiny house. Yeah. Slightly, it's just as tiny, <laughs> but it's in a city. Right. Um, you know, and that, that's like, oh, the two of them just shot a bunch of stuff, edited a bunch of stuff it yep. got bought, you know what I mean? Like yep. that kind of thing. And there's a lot more of that happening, right? Yep. Where it's. They don't need somebody who's a professional like right. you.
1: Well, that's the thing. is like the tools of production are much more accessible. Democratized. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm not worried about losing my job because I feel like the easier it is to shoot footage, the more you need an editor to make sense out of that right. footage. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You
1: know, and I do end up doing- It's not easy to
0: make good footage. It's not
1: easy <laughs> to make good footage. And it's not, it's even harder to make a good story out of that footage. Yeah, yeah. So, I do a fair amount of, you know, a couple times a year, I'll come in for a week or two weeks or something and polish and refine and yeah. whatever. So I I love it from a more people can get started kind of vantage point. Yeah. And uh, and a, like more work is out there, vantage point.
0: Yeah. You know? She's like, they're, they're going to have to come to me to yeah, fix exactly. it when they screw it all up. Exactly.
1: Someone's <laughs> going to turn it into something. Yeah. More people take the class at the edit center. You know, it's yeah. it's editing is is um hard and time consuming and
0: Do you think if, it gets the respect that it deserves? I or has that changed over time?
1: Think inside the industry it does. I okay. think outside the industry people have no idea what Who the editor was, say. what they yeah. do, how yeah, long people it took. say to me all kinds mm-hmm. of crazy like were you, like, the only editor? I'm still not sure if that one is sexism or just ignorance. I don't know. Right, right, like, right. Yeah, right. I, was, I was the it editor. That could mean anything, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jesse Gordon, by the way. I just thought of his last Aha, name. Aha, there you Jesse go. Jesse Gordon. Bum, bum, bum. Terrific editor, yes. Um, and Or people will say, I'll, I'll explain what I do, and, like, you're choosing between takes, and you're shaping the actor's performance, and you're choosing what angle you see it from. And yeah. people will say... Well, isn't that the director's decision? Yeah, yeah. Um, so outside the industry, people have no idea. Yeah. Inside the industry, I think if you have any experience in film, you've either worked with a really good editor who has who has really made something out of a project you weren't sure was going to work, yeah, or you've worked with a bad editor sure. and seen that that just that really tanked something promising. So I think I think within film, people understand how important editing is. Though anytime I go visit a set, everyone starts looking at me like, uh, is the continuity right? Are these shots going to match? And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know until I get it in my machine later and yeah. have time to nitpick everybody's work.
0: Right, um, right.
1: but Yeah, I uh, can't follow
0: that many things. There's 30 of you. Why am I supposed to yeah, be exactly. able to keep track well, and, of everything? And
1: sets are such chaos. Oh, it's absolutely. really hard to um, – and I'm not good at like – like the sort of spatial understanding that you need to know if two shots are gonna work when you intercut them, yep, I can't imagine that in my head. It's very hard for me to do that non concretely, and that's what script supervisors are really good at doing
0: there's a There's a famous story in the audio world, this guy named Bob Clearmountain, who's a big mix engineer, yeah, and uh he worked on a bunch of stuff I could list, but uh, back in the day, the in excess record, you know the bang bam bamp uh-huh dang and you know uh-huh. like and all that uh-huh. song, right so he made that and that's a very like stilted thing where stuff comes in and out and all the rest of it. And it wasn't performed like that. Uh-huh. That was all done in oh, the mix, interesting. interesting. that he came in and he was like, look, this is how I mixed it. Yep. And they were like, uh, you know, <laughs> and that's yeah. what they ended up going with. And that's what makes the song. And I think in the same way that there's a lot of editing decisions mm-hmm. That people don't even realize Mm -hmm. that that's why that movie is that way.
1: Well, the thing that never ceases to amaze me, like when I teach at the Edit Center, we have this scene from a movie called Tully that came out, I don't know, 15 years ago. Um, And we give the same scene to, you know, 12 students. And I have taught this class a zillion times over the years and I've never seen anybody cut exactly the same version of that scene. Yeah, a different edit every single time. Yeah, And you can watch that edit and you can say, this person sympathized with Tully. Yeah. And you can watch it and you say, this person sympathized with Ella, who's the other main character. Yeah. And you can say, this person was really concerned about the timing of when this truck arrives in the scene. And you can just look at these edits and I can tell you exactly what the person who cut it was thinking about when yeah. they were doing it.
0: And the way their mother treated them when they were six.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, if you watch a movie I've done, it can tell me about my mother. I'll be very impressed. <laughs>
0: I'm gonna do that tonight. Yeah. The uh Well we're gonna to have to have you back again when, when I get deeper into this. This fun? was so
1: much fun. I really I know I already knew that I enjoyed talking to you. Yeah. Um, but you asked great questions and this was really uh enjoyable. All right. If if
0: if, if should people look for you anywhere? You got any Twitter, you got any of that? I'm stuff going on, on
1: Twitter as Molly Rachel, M O L L I E yeah. Rachel. I mostly retweet. Um, but I will tweet when I have something coming out. Is so. Molly your official name? Molly is my official name. It is not short for anything. It's not a nickname. It is. Is it a family thing? uh, Kind of. I mean, my grandmother's name was Mary, which is odd because my family's Jewish. Yeah. But. um, Not like my
0: wife, who's Irish, and everyone's named Mary. Yeah,
1: exactly. Well, Mary and Molly is a nickname for Mary. It's very Irish. Yeah. But uh, no, we're Jews. And uh, my mom liked the cookbook author, Molly Katzen, who also spells her name with an IE. So there it is. So that's where it came from.
0: All right. Well, uh, we'll go find you. And uh, once again, the, the one that's coming out in August? Like Father on Netflix on August 3rd. Okay. And in the meantime, what can people watch and where can they see um,
1: it? Little Men is on Netflix and everything else. Uh, the Incredible Jessica James also on Netflix. Um, I think it's on iTunes and everything, but Netflix bought it, so I'm not sure exactly. Okay. So you can
0: go watch it for go watch $10 a month.
1: Those are my two of my favorite things yeah. that I've done. And if
0: you have uh, comments about how they are edited, uh, right, yep. Molly? at uh,
1: Molly. <laughs> Rachel, I mean, at Bill Wadman. Yeah, exactly. to you. If you have compliments and in my way, if you have complaints, you know, <laughs> pals with Bill Wadman would be happy to hear it.
0: Uh, thank you so much for coming Thank out. you. Right, see you soon.